faithful. And as we come to this chapter this evening, chapter 5, Eric introduced chapter 5 with the first few verses. And, um, and we come to this, this passage about patience. This passage about patience. And I know there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. There's a lot of things going on in the lives of people here in this church. And everyone's struggling with something different. Um, and if you're not struggling, you probably have been struggling. Or you're probably going to be struggling. But we all struggle. We all have hard times. We all have difficulties. And sometimes those difficulties last for a few days. Sometimes they last for a few months. And sometimes they don't go away at all. I think of Paul when he uh, talked about his thorn in the flesh that God had allowed him to have. He said he prayed three times that God would take it away. And God said, no. He said, no, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is perfected in your weakness. And so Paul never had that struggle taken away until he went on to glory. And so it may be that a struggle you're going through this evening um, may not ever let up. And that's a hard reality to, to face. That's a hard thing to accept. That a struggle, that, that something that we're going through that's, that it doesn't feel good, it goes against everything that we desire, may be something that we'll face until the end. Are you prepared for that? Are you ready for that possibility? Are you willing to remain patient if that is the case? As we begin this passage here in verse uh, 7, James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Be patient, therefore. And of course, you know that probably the thing you've heard preachers say a thousand times, you know, when you come to a therefore, you got to find out what the therefore is there for, right? All right, you got to say, it's like a, it's like a requirement of preachers, you have to say that when there's a therefore in a passage. So uh, so what's the therefore, therefore, right? Well, obviously we had uh, the passage that Eric preached last week, um, which is an interesting passage as he brought out. It, it most likely is being written to people who are not a part of the church, to the people who are uh, outside the church, who are rich, who are oppressing those who are inside the church. Um, but also it could be, uh, but, but when we come to this, therefore, the question is, is, is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about, therefore, this passage, or therefore, the entire beginning of the book? Because that's, that's an option, right? We have, we're in the last chapter, of course, James didn't write chapters in his book, but he was coming to the last part of his letter to those uh, Israelite uh, believers who were dispersed out due to persecution. He's coming to the end of this letter, and he's, he said all these different things. He's given all this instruction, and then he says, be patient, therefore. So I think it's, it's perfectly fine to see that as kind of the culmination. We're coming into the, the final stretch, right? So all of these things that I've taught you, all of these things that I've reminded you of, that I've told you, it seems like a lot of times, stop doing this, <laughs> start doing that, all these things, he says, therefore, be patient. Be patient. And of course, you can look at the passage that Eric gave us, and I think you can uh, rightfully say that the therefore is, 
applicable to that as well. And maybe even more applicable when you look at the fact that it's talking about suffering, right? It's talking about completely unjust suffering. I love the end of that, uh, that last verse where it says in verse uh, 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So it seems as if this is, this is uh, hurt and pain and suffering that is being put on people who don't deserve it. They've not done anything to, to deserve the way that the rich are oppressing them. And so we come to the next few verses, and, and James is saying, Be patient, therefore, brothers. So he, he spends this time talking to the rich who are outside the church, and then he turns his focus back in again to the church. And he says, I get what's happening. I understand what's happening. I know what's going on. Be patient, brothers. Be patient. Even though these people are taking advantage of you, even though they are hurting you, even though it even says that they are putting them to death, be patient. Until what? Until the coming of the Lord. The title of the message this evening is Requirements and Results of Godly Patience. Requirements and Results of Godly Patience. James is going to give us four requirements of patience in this passage. Things that, ways that we are supposed to be patient um, throughout these trials, throughout these struggles. He's going to give us four requirements, then he's going to give us two results of godly patience. The big idea this evening is this, as God sovereignly allows suffering in our lives, we should respond with patience until Christ returns, regardless of the persecution of man, knowing that the reward for faithfulness is greater than any earthly sorrow. I know, it's a mouthful. Does anybody feel like these are getting longer? <laughs> it's, a, it's a long idea, too. <laughs> uh, there's just so much you got to get it all in, you know? The big idea, one more time, it should be up there for you to write down if you want to. As God sovereignly allows suffering in our lives, we should respond with patience until Christ returns, regardless of the persecution of man, knowing that the reward for faithfulness is greater than any earthly sorrow. The first point that I see here in verse number seven is that patience requires endurance until Christ returns. Patience requires endurance until Christ returns. Notice that James doesn't say endure, be patient through the trial until it goes away. You notice that? Be patient in the trial until it's over. Because you know what, guys? It's going to pass. It's going to be perfectly fine. The clouds are going to break open. Right? The sun's going to shine again. That's not what James is, is telling them. He knows the situation they're in. He knows they're dealing with people who are literally putting them to death, either specifically on purpose or through their actions or causing them to die. They're hurting them, they're persecuting them, they're causing suffering. And in the midst of all that, James doesn't say, don't worry guys, it's going to stop soon. What did he say? 
Be patient, therefore, brothers, until when? Until the coming of the Lord. Until the coming of the Lord. We don't know how long our trials will go. They may be short. They may be long. They may be a lifetime. We don't know. God knows. But James doesn't tell us to be patient till the end of the trial. He tells us to be patient, to have endurance until Christ returns. I use the word endurance here because it's that idea of running a race, that you're continuing to go, you're, you're going to continue to be patient, and you're going to go all the way to the very end. You're going to endure to the very end until Jesus Christ come back or we go to him. Again, as we think of these people who have passed on, it's in some ways we look at them and, and we mourn for the loss of being able to be with them, but in some ways we envy them a little because the suffering is gone, the pain is gone, the heartache is gone, and they have begun eternity with their Savior. And that is what we have to look forward to. But until that time, James says, be patient. Be patient. Patient requires endurance. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. Jesus gave this uh, analogy in, in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. And then an interesting picture. Blessed are the servants who are awake, because those who are awake, what's he going to do? The master is going to put on servants' clothes and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You know, I, I think it's easy for us at times to, to have this mentality that Christ is coming back someday. You know, it's been 2,000 years, right? It's been 2,000 years so far. Um, who's to say it's not going to be 2,000 more? It can be easy for us to just assume that as we go through life, it's just going to be the same. We're going to go all the way up to whatever time we get to, and then we'll pass away. And our kids are going to do the same thing, and our grandkids are going to do the same thing. And we can at times kind of just plan on life happening that way without giving any thought to the fact that Christ could return today. He could come back today. We don't know. We have no idea when Jesus Christ is going to come back. They thought he was going to come back back when they were writing the scriptures. 
They were looking, they were prepared, they were watching, they were waiting for Christ to come back. And yet here, 2,000 years later, we hopefully are still waiting. Are we waiting? Are we enduring, suffering, waiting for his return? Are we enduring, suffering with patience, understanding that we're looking for him? Not looking for the end of the trial, but rather looking for the coming of the Savior. Is that why we're enduring? James says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I'm going to use that until Christ returns for these next three um, requirements. But the next requirement we see here is that patience requires faithfulness until Christ returns. So patience requires endurance, right? We have to we have to make it through. Endurance has kind of that idea of just you know gritting your teeth and going through, right? I'm gonna make it. <laughs> but not only does patience require endurance, but it requires faithfulness. It's not just enough to grit your teeth and bear it. We are to be working. We are to be faithful and doing what God has called us to do. He gives us an example here. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, you might be looking at that verse and going, um, I don't see how it requires faithfulness. You look at this, what's the, what's the farmer doing? He's... Uh, being patient about it. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. That kind of gives you the idea that you know, he's, he's planting his, his seeds and he's sitting back and he's just waiting. Right? That's kind of, that's kind of what it looks like. He's just, he's just waiting for God to, God to bless. You know, I did my part. It's up to you, God. That's kind of what you can get from this passage if you're, if you're not digging into it, if you're not careful about it. Um, this statement about the early and late rains is an interesting statement. So in Israel, uh, even today, they have uh, their summer season as much like we feel it is right now here. It's very dry. Uh, they get no rain during the summer season. Um, it's interesting. We, we plant in the spring and we harvest in the fall. Well, in Israel, they plant in the fall and they harvest in the spring. And the reason for that is because the rain all comes from between the months of October and May. And those are the early, and the, and the we'll call it actually, there's different terms that they use if you look it up online, early or, la, or latter rains. Anyway, the early and the latter rains, uh, former. They use this word former sometimes for the early rains. But anyways, the early rains are the rains that come in October. And it's interesting because the farmer usually doesn't do anything to the field until the early rains. So it says the farmer is sitting here waiting for the fruit. He actually doesn't really start his work of planting until the rain begins. Because the ground is so dry and hard from the summer months of no rain, it's useless to try to work it. And so they actually wait for the early rains. It's a softer rain that comes down in October and November about that time. And so they wait for the softer rain to come down and it makes the land workable. So the farmer actually begins working at the early rain. 
And then we have the, the winter times, and that's when they get heavy rains. And it's interesting, they can't have the heavy rains before because that would create floods. Isn't God smart? But he brings the soft rains at the beginning in October to prepare the ground for them to plant, for them to till and to plant and to prepare. And then he brings the heavy rains to give life so those seeds can grow. And the farmer is waiting there. He is working the field. He's not just, he's not just sitting on his front porch with a you know, glass of iced tea just waiting for God to... <coughs> Literally make it rain. <laughs> That's not what he's doing. He's not just sitting there waiting. He's actually working to do everything that he needs to do to make this harvest. Now, once the heavy rains come, there's not much he can do at that point. He's got to kind of let nature take its course the way that God has designed. But it's interesting, if those rains don't come on time, they can't plant. They can't do the things that they need to do. And they are reliant on God providing those rains. If you ever wondered about those, uh, those droughts in the Old Testament, right? You think of uh, Elijah and the drought that was there. That's what they were missing. They were missing the early and the latter rains, the winter months of rain that God was holding back, causing the drought. And so the farmer is not just sitting there lying uh, on his bed. He's not just sitting on the porch drinking iced tea. He's, he's doing the work that he needs to do even during this time of the early and the latter rains. And of course, he's, he can't control the produce. He can't control how much grows. He can't control how much he gets out of it. In that case, he's reliant on God. It's interesting, the farmer does not try to reap his harvest early. He can't go out and start planting ahead of time. He can't go out and try to, to, try to manipulate things uh, to do it the way that he wants. He has to wait for those early and latter rains. He's actively working. And then he must wait to see what God provides. Patience requires us to be faithful. Job says, be like the farmer. He says in verse 8, you also be patient. Just like the farmer who waits for the right time and he does the work that he's required to do when he's required to do it, and then he leaves the results up to God, just like that, that is how you should be faithful. That is how you should be patient. Patient. You should work at the things that God has given you to do and leave the results up to him. How often are we impatient and trying to bring about the results that we want? How often do we try to manipulate our circumstances, manipulate our situation, manipulate other people to get what we want? James says that's not what the farmer does. He does the work that he needs to do, and he allows God to bring the increase. He relies on God. So patience requires faithfulness until Christ returns. Thirdly, patience requires steadfastness until Christ returns. Take a look at this next passage. It says uh, in verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, 2,000 years ago, this is written. And yet, in James' mind, he understands in the mind of God, Christ is coming soon. And at the end of Revelation, we read Christ saying to John, Behold, I am coming soon, and I'm bringing my reward with me. Even though we have this constraint of time and we see all these years going by, Christ is coming soon. And James says, be steadfast. Have patience and establish your hearts. That word establish um, is another word for strengthen, right? The, the word, uh, I don't remember what the word is, I didn't write it down, but it means to fix firmly or to strengthen or to establish. If you want to know the Greek word, you can look it up. Uh, to, to fix firmly, to strengthen or to establish. And he's talking about our faith. He's already mentioned this back in James chapter 1. If you remember, very common verses, James chapter 1, verses, verse 2, Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The steadfastness that I believe he's talking about here is the steadfastness of our faith. If you think about those who are going through these trials that we've just talked about, that Eric just talked about last week, the trials that we talked about at the very beginning of, of this book, these are people going through some very difficult times. And they would be the type of people who could walk away from the faith. There are many even today in the very little persecution that we have in the United States of America who have grown up in Christian homes, who have gone to church their entire lives, and yet their faith is not strong. Their faith is not steadfast. Their heart is not established. And James is saying, look, you need to understand Christ is coming soon. And, and his revelation says he's bringing his reward with him. He's coming back. And you need to be patient until he comes back or until you go to him. Be patient until that point. And while you're being patient, establish your heart. Be firm in the faith. Understand the word of God. Trust the word of God. Obey the word of God. Be firm. Be established in the faith. And be patient in that because the world is going to attack it. The world is going to attack our faith. Kids, the world is going to tell you that what you hear from these sermons and what your parents teach you from the Word of God is not true. They're going to lie to you. They're going to try to deceive you. Be firm in the faith. Have patience and establish your heart. Patience requires steadfastness until Christ returns. Number four, patience requires unity until Christ returns. Patience requires unity 
Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Is it just me or has James kind of talked about this a lot? The way that we interact as the body of Christ with one another is extremely important. And James is telling us that godly patience requires that we be unified, that we pursue unity in the body of Christ. And he gives this example of not grumbling against one another. We should not be going after one another. We should not be attacking one another. We've seen that already in in several passages in the book of James in chapter 2. He talks about how we're not supposed to show partiality. And that was both in our deeds and in our words. And how we talk to each other, showing partiality. In chapter 4, it says that we're not supposed to speak evil against or towards one another. Why, Why does he have to keep reminding this church about these things? It's because when struggle comes, when hardship comes, when everything that we know and we love seems turned upside down and it's not working out the way that we want, what do we do? We lash out. We lash out and we attack often those closest to us. You know, it's interesting you can see this with children daily (laughs) in the home. If you have multiple children in the home, they're really good at this. When things are not going their way, they make sure everybody knows it. Sometimes we adults are the same way, are we not? When things are not going our way, we make sure everyone knows it. The footsteps are a little louder. The doors slam a little harder. The voices rise a little higher. And yet, we do that in the body of Christ as well. When maybe the direction of the church isn't going the way that we think it should, we get angry and frustrated start gossiping, start talking poorly about other people. I don't think that's happening right now, but I've seen it in a lot of churches. Grumbling and complaining and backbiting and fighting and bitterness and arguments Lack of unity. And James says, you need to be patient. And part of that patience is having unity. Because that one who is coming soon, he's not just our savior, he's our judge. The judge is standing at the door. Every word we have said, every deed we have said, even as believers, will be judged. Whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stone. It's all going to be judged. Now, those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, we're, we're saved, we're secure eternally, but we'll still be judged. And James says, the judge is standing at the door. 
Don't grumble and complain against one another. Don't bite back against one another. Don't argue with one another. Have unity so that you're not judged. One of the worst things I think we could be accused of when we stand before God is being somebody who created disunity in God's local church. When we seek our own things, when we go after our own desires, when we treat others with disrespect. James tells us that we need to be patient and that patience through suffering and trial includes pursuing unity. But there's two results of patience that I want to look at. Before I get there, I just want to throw out, I, I know we've talked a lot about unity in the, in the uh, days past, but I just want to read through a few verses talking about unity and just to remind ourselves that this is not something that God takes lightly. This is something that God talks about a lot in the Bible. First, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. To bring someone back who has sinned. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 2, 1 through 3 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul's talking about the church, inside the church. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Those are just three passages of many. God is concerned about the unity of his people. And if we're going to be patient in a godly manner, we should be patient by pursuing unity until Christ returns. Number five, patience results in man's persecution. What do we see here? He says, as an example, verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, a lot of times I think when we think about the prophets, we think about like the great prophecies about Jesus, right? We think about all the cool things that they prophesied that came to pass so that we can confirm that they were truly speaking the word of God. And, and I think in many ways, we, we tend to put them up on a pedestal. And I think 
in, in some ways, that's good, right? It's good for us to understand that they were the mouthpiece of God, that they spoke the truth of God. But the Israelites didn't always see them that way. And that's why he says, let's take an example here of suffering and patience. And that's the prophets. The prophets are an example of suffering and patience. Let me just read to you a few passages that kind of make reference of this. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. Jesus is speaking. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the prophets were persecuted. <clears throat> By whom? Matthew 23, verses 29 through 36, Christ again is speaking. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Did you catch that? They were talking about how great they are because if, if they had lived back when their fathers had, they would not have joined in with shedding the blood of the prophets. The men who spoke the word of God, they murdered. Thus you witnessed against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered, between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. It's amazing these guys thought that they were righteous. Acts 7, 51 through 53. This is Stephen. And right after he says these words is when they get angry and they stone him. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Lastly, Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 32 through 38 says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. 
They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and the caves of the earth. What is your suffering? What persecution have you been under? Have you suffered unto blood? Persecution is going to happen. It's confirmed by what Christ told us. All who live godly will suffer persecution. I should think that was Paul. All who live godly will suffer persecution. And if you think that you're being persecuted now, Read back through that last passage. We have no idea what persecution is. Real persecution. Heavy persecution. Suffering persecution. And yet, how often are we failing to be patient until the Lord comes? And what little persecution we receive. Persecution is a confirmation of faithfulness. Patience results in man's persecution, but lastly, patience results in God's blessing. And I'll close quickly here. Patience re- results in God's blessing. Let's look at the rest of this. <clears throat> in verse 11, it says, Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. We, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Speaking again of the prophets, we think of them as blessed. We look back on them and think of them as as great men. But they suffered persecution even though they were faithful to preach what God had called them to preach. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I don't know about you, but when I think about God's dealing with Job, I don't always use the words compassionate, and merciful. Do you? God's dealing with Job, his purpose. It says, it says, consider his purpose. What was God's purpose in doing what he did to Job? I think you can see that in chapter 42 when Job finally responds back and he says, I have seen you, I have heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see you and I repent. I think God's purpose was to simply show Job who he really is and who God really is and who we are compared to God. And that purpose was made clear through all those chapters, through the interaction, through through the pain and the suffering that God allowed Satan to bring upon him, through the chapters of his friends trying to convince him that he was sinning. And yet James tells us that he was steadfast. He was steadfast. And we look to him and we see a good example of steadfastness, of patience through trials that we can barely understand. And yet God's purpose was to change the way that Job viewed himself and the way that Job viewed God, to reveal to him how big God is. And then 
we see that God is a God of compassion and mercy. If you read the end of Job, I won't take the time to do it, we see that God restores his fellowship with the people around him. I honestly don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach that part of it, but it's there. The first thing we see is that people come to his aid. People, people begin to come to him. They give him, uh, they give him money, and, and and I think it was like a money and a, and a gold ring or something like that. They they begin to, to to help him out. That hadn't happened yet. God apparently was holding back the gates on that. But then, through compassion and mercy, he he brings back those relationships with neighbors and friends to encourage him. And then we see that he brings back family. Seven sons and three daughters. And then he brings back more wealth than he had before. Is that a guarantee that as we go through trials, that God's going to give us all these great things here on earth? That's not what James is saying. He's saying be patient like Job was because there is compassion and mercy coming. It may come in the form of the end of the trial here on earth. Praise the Lord if it does. It may come in the form of being released from the pain and suffering of this life. But no matter what those two happen, which of those two happen, it will be when we stand before Christ. And everything on earth is done and wiped away. All the tears are wiped away. All the pain is wiped away. All the sorrow. And we spend eternity with our Creator, worshiping Him. We, I don't think we'll even remember all the things that we suffered here on earth. I, I think we'll just wipe it clean. I can't prove that. So don't quote me. It's not a doctrinal statement. But I, I, I think that, I think he's just, it says he's going to wipe away every tear, right? I think that includes the memory. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. There is compassion and mercy coming if we're patient, if we're waiting, if we're faithful, if we're enduring, if we're steadfast. For pursuing unity. There's a few verses that I was going to read, but I'll hold off to the time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we know that none of us deserves to be sitting here, none of us deserves your faithfulness and your love and your kindness. None of us deserve your compassion and your mercy that is to come in the next life. But yet you loved us. And you sent Jesus Christ to come to earth, to live the perfect life that we could never live. To pay an immense price that we could never pay. To give us victory and eternity that we could never earn. We thank you for that. 
And we thank you that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and then rising again from the dead, that we can look forward to glory, that we can look forward um, to persecution. That's not something that we look forward to naturally, Lord, but spiritually, I pray that you would allow us to walk through the days to come of struggle and hardship and persecution and pain patiently. That we would do it in a way that is awake and waiting for you. As James says, you are coming soon. We look forward to that day. Lord, help us to not get caught up in the things of this world, but help us to be renewed in our mind, to be looking for you, to be waiting for you, and ready for when you return. Or when you call us home, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.